Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood on Missed Apex Podcast. When you're done listening to Joe, check out our recent tech time with Summers F1 and our last three race reviews from this thrilling triple header. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and this week I'm grabbing your attention by telling you I'm joined by Paddock Jewel, Joe Bazooka Saywood. How's it going, Joe? Well, I've never been called bazooka before. I can have a fairly decent hitting power, but I've never thought of myself as a bazooka bazooka before. And I did mean in the military sense, not the thing that got rid of zits for teenagers in the 90s. No, verukas. It was verukas, wasn't it, that you bazooka? Uh, I have no idea. I left I left teenage years and um, verukas behind long ago. Well, finally, we're able to catch up with you after this really busy triple header. Now, Cyril Abidabo has said in motorsport.com that there's too many races. So, you know, do you agree with that? Has it put its strain on you or has it just made you more alive and kind of fighting fit? No, it's a, it, it's been a big strain, but that doesn't mean it's too many. It's all to do with scheduling the races, isn't it? So if you can, I, I think you can have 23 races if you have a good schedule, but you can't afford to have races where you fly to Australia and come home four days later. That doesn't work. The three race thing was tough really tough for everybody you never go home you never do anything uh, in normal life stuff you just go from race to race to race to race and it, and it was it was bruising and you know journalists have a have a relatively easy time compared to some of the team people particularly the the motorhomers and the motorhome builders those people really uh, take the brunt of it so i think you know, it shouldn't be, there shouldn't be three races in a row. I don't think that's sensible. Um, having said that, if you got rid of all the motorhomes, maybe they could be. But that's <laughs> another argument, isn't it? So I suppose you've got those teams of guys. The motorhome guys have got to be the last ones out. So presumably that's that's late Monday once all the admin and debrief is done. And then they've got to be at the next race, I guess, by Wednesday or even earlier. Yeah, there, there was actually a very good uh, video today by Mercedes-Benz about what they did from Austria to Silverstone. And it is, it's brutal. I mean, they work through the night, they get everything done. These big motorhomes are broken down and on the move by uh, midday on Monday. I mean, yeah, so what? But you're talking about fairly major constructions. And then they're driven 1,200 miles, sorry, 1,200 kilometers, rather, uh, including a trip across the, um, the tunnel. Um, and then rebuilt again, and they're supposed to be ready for Wednesday. So, yeah, it's tough, and particularly if you have a problem. McLaren, for example, had one truck that had a number of punctures in the course of the France to Austria and then Austria to Silverstone. Yeah, but did they make up for it by that motorhome having just the best chassis out of all of them? 
<laughs> very droll. Um, no, the, the problem was that the uh, the the, uh, the chassis and the and the uh, and the tractor unit were not talking to each other, so they actually had to get a new uh, tractor unit in to fix it. But they, they got there. They you know they, they worked day and night to do it. Um, now there is an argument that these things are are sort of dinosaurs that are not needed anymore, um, but they are part of a brand statement. Um, about Formula One, so I don't know the answer. They cost a lot of money. Uh, there are probably better ways of doing it. But don't they? Don't uh, they generate a lot of revenue? Because and it is about ego. If you contribute money to a team in some way or another, or your 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 company does, it's amazing. Even people of wealth, right down to your worker on the ground. If you if you give somebody nice stuff while they're coming to talk to you i mean i recently had a supplier meeting where we got our bellies tickled with you know crest sandwiches but they were cut into triangles and they got us proper pop and it was cold and uh, on a hot summer's day i think that was enough to sway a few of the young engineers well i'm not sure that would work in formula <laughs> one terms but so on a grand uh, I, scale I, I think in formula one terms when the sponsors look at what their money's being spent on uh, and they look at these incredible edifices these pantechnicans, multi multi pantechnicans, in fact, going from place to place. They some of them are probably thinking, well, why on earth are we spending money on this? We should be spending money making the car go fast. And in the case of McLaren, that is probably yes. more apposite than any other team because they should be concentrating on making the cars go fast and not worrying about building motorhomes. I'd sometimes wonder though, if you're trying to say get I don't know Pepsi to come and sponsor you. It's not the shareholders of Pepsi that you're whining and dining. You need to get the guy who signs the check. And, and if you make that one individual happy and make him feel special, you know, sometimes that, that would make the motorhome and all the razzmatazz and sitting next to the driver worthwhile. Not the kind of money you're talking about in F1. They are, you know, they want ROI, I believe the term is. They want return on investment and they don't want to be see any wastage so i think that 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 wastage i think the motorhomes are wasted wastage i can see the logic behind them but at the same time you could spend the money if you got all the teams to put their motorhome budget into a pot and then spread that out among the circuits of the world you could build pretty nice garages everywhere uh, just mind minding that that cable that's just causing some some rustling again what am I supposed to do with it? Nah, nothing. Put it around my neck. Um, <laughs> I don't think it is that. Now you're doing that. I think it might just be banging against the desk. But okay, it's all right. We'll we'll get it in post. Um, it wouldn't be half as glamorous though. Yeah, what's that? That was me hanging down my fingers on the desk just to check. <laughs> so I think that's what it might be. You might have a tick going on. Um, but it wouldn't be half as glamorous, would it, on telly watching? Ted Kravitz tripping over tent poles and tent pegs and things like that. Does it, doesn't F1, as the pinnacle of motorsport, need to just exude this glamour? No, but if it had permanent facilities, at, I mean, at some places, for example, in Bahrain or uh, Abu Dhabi, they have permanent facilities in the paddock. Uh, they have it in Shanghai, but I mean, you know, walking between the two is is like going to Moscow and back. Um, you know, you just have to have it the right distance apart so that people come out. If you have it on the back of the garages, as they do in, in uh, Malaysia, nobody ever comes out, so you can't talk to anybody. So, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have to be tents. It can be permanent buildings. It can be permanent buildings. I mean, it's so much cheaper if a team arrives and just plugs things in. Yeah. Um, as opposed to having to lay all the all the work and have these satellite dishes and all the kinds of rubbish they have a lot of it's not necessary so there is a there is a lot of work going on with the formula 1 group at the moment trying to ascertain what makes financial sense and one of the things for example the um the the the, the pit uh, um, well, where, where the uh, we call it the Pratt perch, <laughs> yeah, you know, where where basically the, the beautiful people sit, the pit wall during a race, the pit wall um, units. They're all different. They're all expensive. They're all transported around the world. It doesn't make any sense. You know, just make them all the same. I mean, to be quite honest, you know, branding them differently. Yes, you can paint them a different color, but why on earth would you need to all design your own ones? It just makes no sense at all. Bruce Wayne in the chat room would like a 70s style, just a small fence and a tent with camping chairs and tables. And uh, Don Byrne brings it back to logistics saying, uh, Joe, could 23 races be done 
Oh, that's two yes. more than this week. And still retain the three-day Grand Prix weekend. And is that yes. an ambition of F1? I don't know if it's the ambition. It can be done. But if it is, <clears throat> if you're having races, you need to have two uh, double headers. You need to have a race in Australia and a race following a week later in Bahrain. So it makes sense. You need to have a race in China followed a week later by a race in Japan. You have to have a race in Sochi and a race in Baku. If we have to have either, um, you have to have a race in Canada and Mexico on, on weekends that follow. You know, th- this all makes sense. If you have one off flyaways, it's expensive and it's tiring because you, you know, when, when you get somewhere, you don't, you never ever settle into a pattern because you're leaving before you settle into the pattern. So, um, you know, you just have to think about the human damage and the human damage of 23 races can be the same as 19 races. But if you have two races in eight days, as opposed to, um, you know, cramming, well, not cramming, you, you just have ridiculous journeying to go out and back. I, I remember when the English football teams were had recovered from their European ban. That ages me a little bit. Uh, and they started having to play a lot more European fixtures. And then the premiership started. Um, that's when we started seeing squad rotation. So other teams just not simply going to have to accept they can't take the same chief mechanic out. They can't take the same pit crew out. They're going to have to rotate it through the season. And, and can't they? But that, fun- but that massively increases budget. The, the most expensive thing that Formula One has is more people. So what they don't want to do is that. So you, what you, what you want to have is, and I think what Cyril, his argument is that you don't want to make it commonplace. You don't want it to be like NASCAR where they have 36 races a year. And it's just every weekend is a NASCAR race. I think they get two weekends off in the summer. Now, there are no press who follow the whole of the NASCAR championship. None at all. I doubt there are, there are many crew who do the whole thing. The drivers do the whole thing and, and the crew chiefs maybe, but you know, but they rotate them in a different way. Crew come in uh, on a Thursday and leave on a Saturday. Yeah. The race team is a completely different set of people to the ones who prepare the cars. So there's all kinds of things like that. And of course they have a geographical limitation is where they go. In other words, they only fly around Trump land. True. They don't go outside. Um, so, uh, you know, Formula One has different challenges, but at the same time, it, it's possible to do it a lot better. And I think they'll find a way. So they want to. It seems like if they if they want to do it, is the motivation more revenue, more tracks? And basically, yeah. logic says that it's more revenue, more tracks. If you cut it back and only have high-paying 16 races, well, that's another matter. You know, how high can you push? If you've got government backing... It can go quite high, the numbers, but, you know, all the people have to get involved in that. So one has to ask the question, if you cut it back to 16, would Silverstone still make the cut? Would Monaco be in there? Because Monaco doesn't play anything like the Russias or the Bakus of the world. So it's a balancing act, but um, I don't know the answer between whether you make it more special, only 16 and high paying events, or you go to 23 relatively special and relatively high-paying events. But that's very much from a business point of view. I like to ask the chat room now, and uh, now we've got low latency on, how many races do you want to see? Because personally, I, I hate waking, waiting three weeks between a race. Yes, maybe the triple header was a little bit much, but I think if it was to go down to 16, you know, I'd feel like I was, I was, I would maybe lose interest or some people would, and certainly I'd be climbing the walls waiting for the next race. Now, hang on hang on a minute you've got to bear in mind also it's not just a triple header it's a triple header one week off and a double header so we had we will have five races in six weekends which basically wipes out your summer it, well it you does know, for you i'm at home on the sofa lucky you <laughs> uh but yeah no you, you're right you can have too much of a, a good thing but here in the chat room uh, mr popcorn sorry mer popcorn is saying 20 to 19 uh, Kevin wants 23, Broken Tech wants 21, Artemy X 20 is all right. Yeah, 20, 21 seems to be about the sweet spot then. Yeah, I don't mind. I mean, 20, we used to think of 20 as being hard to do. But as I said before, it's not about the number. It's about the, the way it's planned. And the problem they have at the moment is they're all still dealing with Bernie Eccleston contracts, which tie certain races to certain weekends. And so you can't change the calendar. Next year's calendar is going to be very similar to this year's calendar. Don Byrne wants 52. 
clearly doesn't have a wife. Uh, <laughs> clearly doesn't have a life, let alone the wife. I mean, you know, 52. Wow. Ignore Joe. We live F1. Uh, yeah, M- yeah. M- well, there's Fals- a limit to living F1 when you've been divorced a couple of times, you know. Uh, M. Hilmi Fauzi says that, um, was it NASCAR you were talking about earlier? 36 races a year, two of them are not on ovals. Yeah, you, you can see how that quick, would quickly tire. Can I just point out that they are adding a third road race later this summer in Charlotte? Uh, okay, so then, um, well, I want to talk about you at tracks actually as well, because in honour of Matt Trumpets, who attended his first FIA event as an accredited journalist this weekend. So congratulations to Matt attending the New York E-Prix on behalf of Summers F1. I just wanted to ask, you know, about when you started out, because I was feeling for Matt hanging around trying to get interviews. I've established I can't be that guy chasing people around with the mic. I mean, you weren't always Joe Sayward. Once upon a time, you were were Joe Sayward. No one knew who Joe Sayward was. How did you find it at first? Were you naturally someone who was embarrassed or who could just go, oi, you, talk to me? Well, when I started, I started in European Formula 3. There was one British reporter. That was me. So generally speaking, the people I used to, actually on one or two occasions, I had a hammock which I slung up between the trees and the drivers came to see me. (laughs) Those were the days. Um, (laughs) But uh, no, I mean, in those days, you talk to everybody. You you spend the whole weekend together. And if there's only a sum total of three journalists in the whole place and 10 spectators, you know, European F3 wasn't a huge hit, even in those days. Um, It was a very much more relaxed world. So you got to know people better. You had more time. Um, But, you know, they needed you. Yes. Um, as much as you need them. Now, Formula E is a bit like that because, you know, if you were to sit down and, and, and say, well, why does Summers justify having a pass for an FIA championship? How many people does he have following him? Loads. Well, yeah, but compared to the West London Observer, oh, right, for okay. example, Fair enough. it wouldn't be huge. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, but you know, how, do, how, do, how are these things decided? These are, these are questions that that one has to look at. And obviously, if you're a young championship needing people, you're going to let in as many people as possible. So you know, good for them. But in Formula 1, you can't let everybody in. <laughs> so uh, um, otherwise, yeah. otherwise, you know, God knows who would turn up. There'll be people dressed as frogs and things like that turning up. It's interesting about you saying they're needing you as well to get there. You're their like mouthpiece out to the real world. Mm-hmm. So I, I do the Daytona D-Max karting championships. If there's an incident on track, I know... As soon as that race finishes, they're going to be running over to the comms box to get their side of the story across to make sure that I announce it over the tannoy that they were the ones who were run out of room. Um, and, and they will lead you up the garden path because <laughs> and in the, in the days when I was doing it in, in Formula 3, it was before there was any televised uh, coverage of Formula 3 races. So, um, you know, you'd hear all these stories and you'd have time in those days as well. And I used to go out to where the accident happened and, and just sort of wander around, look at the tire marks and figure out who was where and who hit who, um, which makes you, it's very good for your ability to be an accident investigator. But, um, you know, you can't trust anything a racing driver tells you unless it's on television, in which case they try not to lie because then they'll be caught. But, you know, if you, if you, if they think there isn't anything televised, they'll tell you the biggest whoppers you ever heard. But uh, what's it like now? Because Mark Webber recently said, where did he say, I think it was in Autosport, um, that he felt that there was too much access to the drivers now. And we kind of, he was hoping they could be a bit shielded and it could not become every day. Do you feel like you have access to drivers now? Obviously not in the press no, pen, but just absolutely wandering Absolutely not. Around. And I think that's a load of old tosh. Much as I like Mark, you know, drivers have to learn that their job is as much dealing with the public, the customer, as it is dealing with the engineers, you know, it's ridiculous to say, you know, they don't get enough time to do whatever they do. Most of them spend their time picking their noses and playing computer games, you know, and, and I'm not kidding. Um, you know, they just don't want to do the hard stuff. Whereas in the States, they'll go and they'll sign autographs for five hours because they're used to doing it. That's a tradition. So, you know, I, I think the drivers, they are busy people sometimes, but a lot of time they're not. And I think a lot of them, um, make it up really to make them sound a little bit busy than they are. They are busy on Sundays, yeah. So, do you think for a kid coming through now, suddenly appearing in the paddock, is it harder than you had it? Uh, yeah, probably because it's more regimented. 
in the old days, you could just go up to somebody and start talking. Now, admittedly, when I started doing it, I had the name Autosport behind me, which helps opens doors. So if you're the Autosport reporter, you know, a lot of these Autosport reporters actually get a bit carried away. They think it's because everyone loves them um, <laughs> and not the fact that they just said the word Autosport. A bit like some of the, it's a bit, bit, bit like some of the newspapers, you know. If they say the sun, people go, yes, do come in, have a biscuit. You know, and if they say the West London Observer, they say, well, thanks a lot, bye. <laughs> um, I don't even know if the West London Observer still exists, but I'm just using it as an example. Um, but, you know, it's it's never been easy. It's never been easy. But, you know, when you arrive, you just have to get in there and do it. And nowadays, it's very easy if you arrive as a journalist just to follow the pack around from press conference to press conference where you actually – you get to see the drivers and, and they'll recognize your face, but you're not actually doing any real journalism. All you're doing is being a copy taker. Yeah. So you're not even the one asking the questions in those scenarios. Well, you can be the ones asking the questions, but the point is that everybody gets the answer. So you're not actually discovering anything else. You're just literally transcribing. In fact, they will share the transcription among themselves to make it easier. You know, one person transcribes and gives it to everybody else. You know, so, um, you know, that, that that's a safe way of doing it, but they're not really finding out any good information from that. Speaking that's of the he said, she, the he said, she said school of journalism, I call it. <laughs> what are you doing? You just caught there's an avalanche. Joe, are you OK? There's an there's an earthquake in your location. No, no, no. I'm just my desk moved, I suppose. I'm not allowed to move anymore. <laughs> not not on the sheds watch. He's not in France. He's genuinely in the shed. I forgot. I forgot we pretend that. Uh, but you get a lot of good information, Joe, because you do go around talking to everybody. Uh, and I know that you talk a lot to Eric Boulier. And recently he quit. We've not actually had a chance to speak since he quit. Are we sure that he did quit? It, this wasn't one of these kind of we'll give you an opportunity to resign situations. Uh, it's an interesting question, and to be honest, I haven't discussed it with Eric, but I believe um, that he did quit. Uh, he he said to me some months ago that he didn't see an awful lot of point in doing what he was doing because he wasn't allowed to run the team how he wanted to. Um, and so I can see him just eventually saying, I've got to go because all that's going to happen here, if he didn't believe in the structure in place, but he was going to get the blame for it, what there was a point in staying? So I think that's probably what happened. Whether they pushed him that way or not is, is rather irrelevant. May I ask then, what would Eric have done differently given that freedom? He'd probably have hired, fired half the management <laughs> um, and structured everything in a way in which someone reports to somebody else. The biggest problem with McLaren has long been this reporting problem um, and and also lack of focus, you know, all this tosh about going to do uh, Le Mans, going to do IndyCars. Get real, folks. You, you are in a mess in Formula One. You have not got time to go messing around painting things orange in IndyCars. Um, you have to focus on it. If, if your core business is F1 and you're doing a poor job at it, which is truly the case nowadays, you need to focus on it if you want to move forward. If you're going to make a further mess of it, you go and do other things and you don't focus or you focus on things that are not to do with racing cars. If you want to be successful in Formula One, you build a fast racing car. You don't try and market it more than everybody else. You just get on and build a fast car. The, the same problem exists at Williams. So EMH2212 asks the same question I was about to, which is, Joe, do you think that McLaren will finally get rid of the matrix system of moolahs that Ron Dennis put in Yonks ago? Now, I work for a large engineering firm, and I think we have a, a similar system where basically we have a lot of managers and department heads who have a domain, and then they have to kind of go and bid for someone's time. So, Joe, I need I need... 15 hours of your time this month to work on on this kind of thing but then that person or you might actually have seven different managers to report to in different areas it can get very mucky but it's not an uncommon engineering approach i mean it doesn't work in formula one formula one is is all about having a boss to report to and uh in fact the ironic thing about mclaren is that mclaren didn't really discover the depth of the problem they had until Ron Dennis wasn't there anymore because ultimately, subconsciously, everyone still thought of Ron as the boss. So, you know, there was always somebody who would always call the shots. And once Ron's gone, I think the problem exacerbated itself because nobody was calling the shots. It was just drifting along. 
So, um, and, and, you know, I, I think that Zach Brown, who is you know, apparently in charge, needs to pick it up and grab it and make it work. If he doesn't, he needs to be kicked out the door. But then again, why is he running a racing team? I don't really understand that because he's a marketing man. He was brought in to sell sponsorship, um, not to run racing teams. So I don't really get it, to be honest. Um, and I think we need to see some more change there. I don't know what change, but certainly we need to have a, a, a true technical head. We need to have a technical director who is the man in charge and so that somebody takes the blame um, and somebody calls the shots. Like a proper hierarchy, but um, Mark well, no, Green- it, it, dictatorships work best. <laughs> is that, is that, but I thought you didn't like Trump. Nor do I. I don't like Trump, but well, he's not a dictator, is he? He's the other bloke I don't like. Not yet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Mark Greenow asks uh, the, the puppet master, should I say? No, oops. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Uh, Mark Greenow, does Joe think Alonso holds too much power at McLaren? Um, there were some distinctly Alonso-ish names when they announced the replacement structure to Eric Boulier. It's a very interesting question. Um, well done, Mark. Why, why would you give power to a driver who's not going to be there for very much longer? Well, I assume that meant that he is going to be there. Yes, between, between 12 and 36 months he's going to be there. But that's not long-term thinking, is it? And you can barely solve a problem in that time, let alone. So, so why would you be giving him the power? I mean, he's got nowhere to go in his career apart from Indy cars. And, and nobody wants him in Formula One. I'm sorry to have to say this, but that's the truth of it. None of the big teams want him because he's a disruptive force. So although he's a great driver, don't take that away from him at all. He's a fantastic driver, but they don't want him. Red Bull could have him. They don't want him. Ferrari could have him. They don't want him. Mercedes could have him. They don't want him. Is the message coming across here? You know, so why would you why would you try to make him happy, except keeping him for another year, maybe? But he's got nowhere to go. So he can either leave Formula One, in which case McLaren's in trouble. But um, it's still not good enough to to have him calling the shots to to any extent. You know, drivers should not dictate what teams do. Could they just be in awe of him and they're just making bad decisions based on his persona? No. Well, if anyone's in awe of a driver and you're running a Formula One team, you're in the wrong job. Well, maybe someone's in the wrong job, no, Joe. The, hang on, you're the boss. <laughs> you're the boss. You're saying, you do this, you do that, and driver, shut up and drive. Now, whether or not you know better how to do it than he does, that's not the point. That's not your job. Your job is to make the thing work. So having a driver telling you how to do things isn't right. So if you're in awe of the driver, you're in the wrong job. Uh, and so then, what next for Eric Boulier? I mean, is well, he's he... going to have a year with Gone Gardening leave. Ah, so he'll get his nice paycheck for a year and then... Well, he won't like that because he's a competitive guy. You know, people don't like their, their time off because, you know, they just sit around getting bored and frustrated. He wants to be back in the fray. He's a very talented guy. Um, you know, some people don't like him uh, because that's inevitable. Some people don't like me, amazingly. You know, what? But, um, that's <laughs> that's the way of the world. Um, and but I'm sure he has sufficient talents and sufficient passion to get a job, an important job somewhere else. And if he doesn't, he'll go off and do something else, which gives him pleasure in the world of motorsport. Think Williams? Could I don't do know. With him? Do you think? Uh, do you think Williams could do with him? Well, Williams could do with something, couldn't they? So I, I've heard. And tell me if I'm wrong. I know you speak to much more important people than I do, but we're hearing on more than one occasion here at Mist Apex Towers slash Shed that morale is low in the Williams factory. And that at least some of that is down to the fact that they don't have faith that their drivers will extract everything out of what they build, whatever they build. That is a very sound assessment, I would say, of the of the likely situation at Williams, and I have heard it said myself. What a shame, though! What a shame for like such a talented team of engineers. Leadership is the key, and leadership in every form—not just in in terms of picking up the team and driving it forward, but in terms of making sure that the engineers do a good job. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of arse covering that goes on in Formula One. But at the end of the day, somebody has to take the rap for these things. Um, and, you know, 
this year's car, the chief heir and the chief designer are both gone. Okay, maybe they, you know, maybe they felt they wanted to go, whatever. Yeah. But uh, certainly Paddy Lowe can't afford to have two bum cars. Well, I was going to say, if this was a championship football team, Paddy Lowe would be gone by now. Yeah. Mm. But at the same time, you know, you've also got to look at Formula One in a way that it takes time to build success. You can't just turn up and do it. Um, not anymore. Uh, and so managers, team managers, team principals tend to be like football managers. You know, you lose an important game, you get booted out. Now, that's not necessarily the most efficient way of doing it, but that's how it is. Now then, Joe, you were talking about the prospect of people not liking you. Shock horror. Like, surely that could never happen. Uh, but I, <laughs> I saw you in your natural environment in the Strand Palace Hotel a week and a half ago. And for the people who don't know this, Joe, you do a live audience uh, in front of, you know, between 30 and 150 people all around the world when you do uh, when you're at Grand Prix. Yeah, I do. But it, I mean, I don't find that a, a problem. Um, there, there's always people who are skeptical. There are a lot of people who come along thinking I'm a mean, nasty, grumpy bastard. But they pay. Because <laughs> on, on the blog, on the blog, sometimes they get the impression because I'm very short on my replies. Um, it's only because I don't have time. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a completely lovable, big, cuddly person, really. But, you know, you don't see that unless you come along to the audiences. So I endorse that on your blog, your answers are like, I mean, some people feel the need, like on their own blogs and things like that, to be very kind of, PR and corporate and HR about it and like very customer service and you just go no tosh rubbish you know and it's just like three words and that's your comment done yeah but I if <laughs> if I read something and there's nothing of any any serious value in it what am I supposed to do I haven't got time to be polite do you want stock answers you know to the best of my knowledge at this moment in time yeah, with all right. due respect bloody bloody blood you're an idiot in you know no, uh, it's just better to go no, yes, whatever. But I don't think people realize how much time, you know, if you have, if you have, I think I've said this before, but if you have 200 comments a day yes, and you spend two minutes on every comment, that's 400 minutes. Where does that come from? That's three yeah. hours and 40 minutes, I think. Being, not being a mathematical genius so i i do tend to give people a little bit more time when they email me and it feels more like a letter and then we have exchanges like that and they can be done over time so if people email me at spannersready at gmail.com far more likely to sit down and consider that but yeah when you get like a wall of youtube comments just saying you're an idiot and it would be the show would be better without you and just matt that's the most hurtful ones um yeah it can it can yeah, but after a you. while they don't hurt but i'll tell you what was interesting when you and i started doing these podcasts together we had a very different demographic of audience so uh on your blog when you posted the thing people would go who's this wally who's this who's this that person just jumping around like a puppy dog and then on on my website and uh, on, on my comments it would be Who, who's this grumpy curmudgeon what you know that it was like a clash of worlds and um what i will say to people who are considering going to your live audiences when you see joe here in the shed joe is very much fitting into the missed apex way of doing things he's having to deal with me asking stupid questions and also we focus very much on, on current f1 commentating on current f1 um the audience with joe's are just fantastic i've been to two now um you go into a lot of stories you go into a lot of general ethos and uh, there's a lot of yarns that go on plus you have an answer for every question that comes in now one of the best things about it is a lot of it is off the record. However, we did record most of a show at the, at the Strand that I attended with you. We recorded most of it. I have to say we did have to stop the recording on quite a few occasions because they're the things that are reserved for the live audience and there can be no evidence. Uh, however, I believe that that live recording gives you a great flavour of Joe Sayward, an audience with Joe Sayward. You can purchase that from us. It is behind a paywall on MissedApexPodcast.com in the menu. That, in fact, it's forward slash Joe Sayward. But in the menu, you can select an audience with Joe. For the price of a movie rental, four ninety five. you can have two hours and 15 minutes of the audio that would not land Joe specifically in a courtroom. So consider buying that. And I think that will give that will whet your appetite for attending his next event. Joe, did I cover all the bases there? I think I did. That was a very, very great piece of promotion, promotional activity. Yes, wonderful. Better um, I, sh I should add there that I also enjoy doing the audiences um, because I am inter, uh, interacting 
with punters on a very much of a of a one to one basis. Uh, and I really like that because you get the, you, you get a buzz from the enthusiasm. Often on blogs and on social media, you don't get the same buzz because it's just like endless abuse. Um, and it's 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 very. T- I mean, no, I mean, I have a, I have a people who say positive things, but of course the abusers just come in and say, well, you only let people who write positive things make comments and all this sort of tosh. But you know, the fact is that that social media is fundamentally a negative thing. Yeah. Um, and and I don't want it to be. I want it to be a positive thing. But just the kind of people who are motivated to use it are negative. And I, I understand that. You know, if I'm in an if I'm in an airport and my airline has, has screwed me around, I'll go on social media and say bad things about the airlines because I'm grumpy. Yeah, it's like TripAdvisor. People only only write bad reviews when they've had a bad time in a hotel. Rarely do they sit there and go, everything was fine, actually, and they're motivated. It's like those old uh, teletext quizzes. They'd say, uh, you know, do you agree with the poll tax, disagree, or have no strong opinion one way or the other? Like, who bothered going on there and selecting I have no strong opinion one way or another? Uh, the people are asking in the chat room which audiences you're doing this year. Do you have a quick lineup? As far as I know right now, I shall be doing one in Singapore and I shall be doing one in Austin. And I think that's all for the year. I might try and do something in Abu Dhabi, but um, it's very complicated over there to get things organized. So um, I don't know. We'll see. But those are the two left. And And I will also do one in London probably in the week after the end of the season. And I'll try and convince Joe to come and do something live with Missed Apex Podcast and an audience at some point. Uh, however, you can, on the 4th of August, come to Buckmore Park at 11am and you can watch a live recording of Missed Apex Podcast. And then we'll be carting at half past one. We've got one seat available. Uh, there's definitely all the podcast people that you'll recognize and a couple of drivers from the world of motorsport that you will recognize as well. Now then... Uh, Apart from me, because that's the first day of my holidays and you're not getting me anywhere near Bucknell Park. Well, you were invited as an honoured guest. Just know that Joe came up with am, a plausible I excuse. understand that, yes, but I only get X number of uh, weeks a year holiday and I'm going to be heading south across France to somewhere quiet and peaceful. Uh, right, uh, Red Bull, Joe. Let's talk about Red Bull because things have gone frosty now, haven't they, with Red Bull and Renault, with uh, Max Verstappen pulling an Alonso with his oh, F2 engine. I've got an F2 engine. That's that's going to be awkward for the rest of the season, isn't it? Uh, not really, because they've been they've said far worse in the past. So, um, you know, it, it's a fractious relationship um, because they want to be successful, but. What they never worked out is that abusing your engine supplier doesn't really help. Something that McLaren and Honda might have worked on a little bit harder as well. So, yes, Red Bull are going to Honda next year. And I'm sure one of the things that Honda worried about before they signed the deal was whether or not Red Bull would give them a, a load of abuse. And well, how- you've you got, you got to think about it. Well, at the moment, Christian Horner's being really, really nice. And he's saying, well, we know how much they're investing. Uh, we've seen what they're doing. For us, it's all about performance. And he backs Honda to have more performance than, than Renault. And for him, that's the, that's the bottom line. But are Red Bull going to give Honda that freedom? Or in reality, do Red Bull really want to be able to control that interface, the synergy and the, the meeting between the engine and the, the car? If they think they're going to control the Japanese, they're dreaming painting a positive picture of harmony ahead it's co- no i'm not but but i'm just saying if they try to do it that way it's not going to work because the japanese go and do their own thing so you've just got to hope they do their own thing better than everybody else um and 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 trying to flog them to death doesn't necessarily help as we've seen with the mclaren situation so you just have to handle relationships with great care so so you particularly, can- particularly as the japanese loss of face is a very important thing pride so a lot of professional pride not not pride loss of face it's slightly different it's it's being embarrassed by other people i won't pretend to understand japanese culture um but french culture we're both perhaps a little bit more familiar with and it's it's interesting now with the the driver situation because i was going to ask you about signs and i still will because on sky tv that was was like look it's joe joe on telly um you uh, were talking about signs having talks with McLaren. It's really interesting listening to Cyril Abidabo uh, talking about having to line up another driver 
in case signs goes off somewhere. But then in the same breath, I, I, I think I think Cyril might have been twisting things around a bit. I, he probably has to say that, but um, Cyril and the Renault boys want Esteban Ocon. If Force India is in a bad state of affairs and Mercedes aren't confident that Force India is a good place for Esteban Ocon, Esteban Ocon will move somewhere else. The logical place to move is Renault, and therefore that might displace Carlos Sainz. I'm not saying any of this will definitely happen, but this is the silly season. This is the time when you have all these all these different possibilities being discussed. And all you can do as a journalist is report the fact that this is being discussed. Will it happen in the long term? I mean, everyone can say, look at you, you got it wrong. I didn't get it wrong. When I wrote things, it was right at the time. This was being discussed. I'm not saying this is happening. So it's just one of those things that happens. You know, you say this might happen and everyone goes, what load of rubbish. <laughs> but it's amazing how often these things actually come to pass later on as well. And of course, by the time Jacques Villeneuve said to me the other day, he said, one of the things about being in the media is if you say something right, six months later it comes true and you were right, but everyone's forgotten you said it. And that's very true. Yes, that happens to me all the time. That happens to me all the time. I have big arguments about trumpets. Last season, at the begin, after testing last season, I said Mercedes are going to disappear and vanish off into the distance, performance-wise. And then for the first half of the season, while well, Mercedes were doing this silly strategy stuff, everyone was like, no, Ferrari have still got the best package. They've still got the best package. Mercedes would somehow struggle to set something up. And they go, see, see, Ferrari was the fastest car. Once the dominance set in, no one turned around and went, do you know what, Spanners? You, you were bang on about that. Not one person. You're bang on there, Spanners. Nice one, mate. Uh, do you feel pressure on Sky TV, though? Because they bring you on. Do you feel no. pressure to kind of come up? You know, it's boring to say, wow, we'll just have to wait and see. You can't possibly just sit there and say that, can you? No, but if you do enough of this stuff, it, it just becomes natural to you. Do you. I mean, do you think that that David Croft goes on a show and is nervous before the show? No, yeah, but- he done it, you, because if you are, you're, gonna, you're not going to be very good at it. It's just, it's just, it's part of the job, I suppose. Does David Croft, uh, as amazing as a commentator as he is, does he ever stick his neck out on the line like you do? He tends to be quite, quite cautious and quite neutral in his speculation. Well, oddly enough, because I'm at all the races, I don't watch Sky. Ah, yeah, good point. All right, fair so enough. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know Crofty. Uh, he's very opinionated, um, and sometimes he's wrong. Amazingly. And, and sometimes he's right, but you know it, it, it's it's very difficult to judge people if you never see what they're doing. And added to which, you, know, you should, could say, "Well, record it and watch it." Well, you can't get it in France, can you? <laughs> so, either which way, unless unless Sky Television sends me their videos, um, and I can, yeah, that's cheating if you do it that way. But um, uh, you know, unless you actually can see the shows being produced, you can't really judge them. And it's unfair to judge them, you know. That's for the spectators to judge. We're spoiled in the UK, though. You know, some people complain about Channel 4, Eddie Jordan. Some people complain about uh, Sky coverage. But really, we do have two top-notch networks on a worldwide scale, don't we, covering F1. Right, fair enough. I've answered my own question. You're you're there in the paddock. You're not actually watching it. Uh, Interestingly, Cyril Abidabo, I think I've rehearsed that. Abitaboula. Oh, come on. I was close enough. I could have had no. that. No one would have known. Uh, he is talking about Sorry. his Renault Juniors. And very. he was citing how Mercedes and Ferrari have all got, and Red Bull have got their platforms in F1. And he was, you know, this is really is now a big push by Renault to be one of the big proper teams. Like he even said, it wasn't going to happen with Red Bull. And, and then this one, he said it's not going to happen with McLaren. So is McLaren not seen as a traditional customer team then? That's, a, that's an odd dynamic. Um... It's it, no from their point of view, Renault's point of view, they've got two what should be decent top teams, their own team and the Renault team. Sorry, their own team and the McLaren team. Uh, the thing is that neither one is performing as well as they should be, given their heritage or given the state of investment they're at. So there is potential that's not being exploited. You know, having Red Bull disappearing off somewhere else is it, it, it's a loss for Renault. But at the same time, they want to be winning with their own team. Because what's the point of winning with Red Bull because your engines are called Tag Heuers or Aston Martins or whatever, you know? 
um, it doesn't make any sense. So getting rid of, of or, or no longer having that relationship clarifies things a lot. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uh, and they want their drivers in. They want French drivers. Is there room for Romain Grosjean? Because he's going to be out of a seat fairly soon, isn't he? I would think that's a very sound assessment of something or other. I don't see him at Renault, no. No, oh, that's a shame. But, I mean, he's got to be str- He's struggling at Haas, isn't he? It's just, it's so consistent. Well, except the fact he, he, he did a terrific job the other day, finished ahead of Kevin, um, and then screwed it up the next race. So, uh, <laughs> Romain's a terrific... I know. He's a terrific driver, and he's a, and he's a great guy, but he just keeps making mistakes. And I don't know if it's a pressure thing. It's very very hard to explain, and I'm not sure he can explain it himself. But so, at, at Silverstone, it wasn't even one mistake. I mean, he he crashed in qualifying at turn one, missing the button. He then hit his own teammate understeering or, or locking the brakes, and then finished it off by being mostly to blame with Carlos Sainz. So I mean. It's, it's an extraordinary amount of mistakes for us over the course of a season. We're not used to quite seeing that that level, are we? Yeah, he's made a lot. Yeah, it hasn't helped him. That's that's very true. The other thing is, of course, if you look at it from a psychological point of view, um, Kevin has been getting inside his head, and that is a key point. The psychological game between teammates is a very key part of success and failure in Formula One. So I'm seeing Haas as actually really challenging for being the number four, number five team consistently. This relationship they seem to have with Ferrari, the step up they've made this year. They've got Kevin Magnussen there, who you might argue is A minus, B plus in the racing driver echelon. If no, Haas, he's, he's, he's you, you think he's that. better than that. I, I'm, I'm yeah. pleased to hear you say that because he, he didn't obviously impress, uh, against Jensen Button. He was up against Jensen Button, wasn't he? In, well, in the he McLaren, was in the was, wrong place at the yeah. wrong time. And also, you've got to have the right support at the right stage in your career. And he didn't feel supported by McLaren. He didn't feel at home. Um, and, of course, you had, you know, he, he knew in the background that Alonso would probably turn up and turf him out. So it, it's not good. You, a driver performs best when he's comfortable. And so the skill is to make your driver as comfortable as possible. So you think that Kevin Magnussen can push on if he's comfortable and he's in a competitive team, which it looks like Haas is going to be? Well, maybe maybe since then, Kevin Magnussen has learned how to do it and doesn't need that support. You see, the thing is, you, again, we judge people at a certain time and say this happened then, therefore, but they, they develop, they change. Danes are made of strong stuff and certainly he comes across as a very strong personality now. Yes. Um, he is, and he's also he's a very he's a very interesting person, and uh, that doesn't necessarily come across. But it is it does a bit. You know, <laughs> hmm? It does a bit. It does come across a bit. He does seem he's interesting. A Vi- he's yeah. a Viking, you know. But he's one of there's only two. Uh, here's, here's a quiz for you: How many drivers are interested in the history of the sport in Formula One at the moment? Sure, sure, sure. Vettel, Magnussen, one, Magnussen, two. That's it. 
Mm. Have I told you that before? I must have done that. No, no. So you think the other guys genuinely aren't that interested? I mentioned that at the audience the other day, you cheater. (laughs) Yeah, but you kept buying me beer, so, you know. That doesn't count. Someone did anyway. Uh, it wasn't me. I'm far too cheap for that. <laughs> that was an interesting drive home. No, I'm joking. I took the train. Calm down, everyone. Uh, anyway, I'm loving Watch this. Watch out. Uh, Sean Todd will have you up against the wall and shot if you're drinking and driving. Good Lord. If Sean Todd had seen the uh, the motorcycle display teams going on behind the bus full of French footballers yesterday or the day before, whenever it was, he would have had, he would have had kittens because I've never seen such chaos in my life. I'm surprised that there aren't large numbers of them dead. And now then, uh, I want to finish up really by talking about Mercedes because we've seen some real interesting comments. We know Lewis Hamilton is really emotional and we kind of expect that. We know these guys are emotional in general. I mean, Sebastian Vettel in Italian was shouting in their backyard at the end of the British Grand Prix. So we know he's emotional. Lewis Hamilton staggered away, didn't want to talk to Martin Brundle just after the race either. Uh, he came under a lot of pressure and then perhaps a misjudged comment suggesting it might have been deliberate and hands up. He's come on social media and said, yeah, that was dumb. Sorry. What was more surprising was hearing Toto Wolff and James Allison clearly exasperated by being hit by Ferraris. And, you know, that comment that they're having to decide whether it's incompetence or malice, it's it's not something we're used to seeing from Mercedes. Toto Wolff has been fantastic at being fun, lighthearted and corporate. After Silverstone, we saw genuine sportsmen under pressure. Yeah, I think so. But, you know, they have been hit by Ferrari rather a lot. There's they no question of twice. There's twice, I think now. But they've been two very significant events which have damaged their point scoring ability. And to be fair, I thought Kimi deserved more of a penalty than he got at Silverstone. I thought that was just a fairly incompetent move. Um, and he got five seconds, which had no impact on him at all, whereas Lewis had to fight his way through yeah, all got, the way up. He, he got 10, I think, 10 seconds, but oh, still right, exactly five, the same. 10, whatever, yeah. it, was, yeah. it wasn't a huge number. Um, and he didn't, you know, by the time he took the penalty, he didn't lose anything, you know. So um, I can see their frustration. But, you know, at the same time, you'd like to hope that people don't crash into one another deliberately. And I don't think it was deliberate. Uh, I just think it was incompetent, to be honest. So Now then, now this is interesting because a lot of people are thinking of Ferrari right now as being in the ascendancy, leading the championship. However, the feeling I'm getting still, and I argue with Matt about this endlessly, is that actually, deep down, Mercedes have got this much stronger package. Ferrari, to my mind, have fallen away the last four races, but it's been disguised by Monaco. It's been disguised by a couple of bad strategy calls. I've got this feeling that Ferrari, in their own camp, have got an underdog mentality where they can be more aggressive and go for it, and that might lend itself to a few more incidents. So it's not malice. They've just got this go-for-it-nothing-to-lose policy. Yeah, that could be that. Could be that. I think. I think it's a very interesting call as to who's got the faster car because I, I think that Mercedes has the faster car, but they don't always use it with the tires as well as Ferrari does. Sure. So, you know, the Ferrari. Uh, and let's let's be let, let's be clear here. Racing in Formula One this year is very very circuit specific and very tire specific, Certainly. and very often that's temperature specific. So, uh, to some extent, it's also luck because you've got to have the right tyres on at the right temperature. Now, Ferrari have played the tyre game better. The strategy game, you'd have to say that uh, Mercedes has looked a bit weak, although quite often there are explanations as to why they made the decisions they made. And they're not stupid. You know, it, It's just that things don't work out for you when things aren't working out. Um, so I, I still think uh, that Mercedes will win the championship. But it changes all the time, so let's see. In your opinion, do Ferrari indeed have now the better engine? No. I thought that was a bold claim, to be honest, when everyone was saying that at the last race. That felt like a, well, hang on, that that snuck up on us, if that's true. And if it is true, that must mean that Mercedes have got an amazing chassis. So... Well, it's to do. I mean, there's so many different things, you know, because you can say, look at the straight line speed, but that's down to the downforce, that's down to the wing settings, it's down to a lot of stuff. 
So it's very, very hard to say who's got the more powerful engine. You've also got the different modes you know, where it can be turned up or not turned up. Um, so I think it's very difficult to sort of say with any great clarity, this is definitely more powerful than that. Um, and I think since Monaco, um, Mercedes have looked better, but their reliability has been suspicious. You've got to convert it as well, haven't you? Yes, exactly. If you, if you have, if you have the speed, you've still got to turn it into the result. Okay, let's hand this over to the chat room for the last five minutes because Caleb is asking, um, will Force India win a race? And then he later asks, will actually, will any team such as Haas or Force India ever win a race? Uh, tell you what, let's put it another way. Who's the next team apart from Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes who are going to win a race, even over the next five years? Who's got that potential to pop Renault. up? Renault. Se- uh, Renault seriously going to wake up uh, as a manufacturer? No, no, Renault, Renault, I think, will become a race winner before too long. Maybe a couple more years. I can see McLaren, if they do the right things, getting back to where they should be, but only if they do the right things. Uh, I don't see anybody else unless there are new engines coming in and we don't know what new engines are coming in because in order to be if you're a customer team you're fundamentally at a disadvantage however if you were going to say Renault is going to go on and nick a race at some point I mean they're not qualifying in the top six unless there's a failure I said within the next two or three years (laughs) yeah so it's going to be dominated by those top three for for the next well for the foreseeable future isn't it uh, yes, but things change. Things go up, things go down. Williams and McLaren used to be the stars of the show. Where are they now? Oh, here we go. There's a good one from Don Byrne. Will Hulkenberg ever finish on the podium? I hope so. He deserves to. He, I don't think he is cursed. Europeans said he's cursed. But to be fair, he has had chances. For example, Baku 2016, he was running in the podium slots. So it's not that I don't think he's cursed. It's when the opportunities have come up, it hasn't been his day. Perez, on the other hand, when he's had those opportunities, he's gone in and nicked them. I know, I know not many people are Perez fans, and I'm somewhat on my own in that. But uh, when, when you can't deny, when he's had opportunities at Sauber and Force India for podiums, he's grabbed them, hasn't he? Yes, he has. No question about that. Yeah. Joe, thank you very much for your time. It is sweltering hot here in the UK and in France. I think we all have to just accept that it's going to be hot forever now and just stop moaning about it or or moan about it forever. Joe, where can people catch up with you? You do you do some fantastic blogs. They're like 2000 words long. You open like this Joe's notebook and you just give this whole summary of your travels and the places you've been. You think it's going to be about Formula One, and it is, and then it's not for 200 words, then it is again. I genuinely enjoy reading those. I'm very pleased to hear it. Um, Joe Blogs F1 will see you all right. Also, Grand Prix Plus, don't forget that. It's still the most terrifically ridiculous magazine that comes up six hours after each race. And for those who are seriously inclined, the Joe Saywood Business of Motorsport newsletter, which is available uh, from, now can I remember my own website? It's flatoutpublishing.com. Still waiting for mates rates, Joe? Yeah, well, you're going to wait for a while. Gosh darn. Well, you guys don't have to wait very long because Sunday, 8 p.m., we're going to be doing a review of the German Grand Prix. I'm going to be joined by Chris, Rainbow Sparkle, Stevens, Matt, Two Rumpets, and Nick Alexander making his debut, as well as grumpy old Steve looking after the chat room. So make sure you join us for that. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex with Joe, who's on the telly sometimes. When are you next on telly? We like seeing you on TV. We want more Joe on TV. Well, um, I think Sky quite liked it, actually. (laughs) But the trouble is I'm in the wrong country. So Ah, whenever I pass through on a Wednesday, maybe we'll do some more. But um, I don't pass through on a Wednesday very often. Tell them I'll sub in for you next time. They'll They'll be delighted to know I'm available. You never know. You didn't have to laugh, you you didn't have to laugh quite so hard, Joe. I, I, I didn't small... laugh at all. Oh, Nothing would surprise me. Why not? <laughs> Joe Saywood, thank you very much. We'll see you very soon. Have a great German Grand Prix. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.